You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is a freelance writer, blogger, and author of the best-selling series, The Mapmaker Chronicles. She has more than 20 years professional writing experience. Each week, they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. With students enrolling from all over the world, you can find out more about the Australian Writers' Centre at writerscentre.com.au. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 163 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with Alison Tate. How are you, Al? I'm 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 well, thanks, Val. That's good. <laughs> I had to think about that, didn't I? Yes, yes why do you have to think about it? Oh, just because I've got lots on my mind. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and how I actually am doesn't generally come into it, just more of what do I need to do that comes into it. So, yeah. So, no, I, I'm very well, thank you. And you good. <laughs> I am well, thank you. Good. Okay. Why don't we just plunge straight into this week's episode, hey? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Given that we're off to such a flying start, yes, I think a that's start. a very good idea. We want to give a shout out to Sanch Writes. So Sanch Writes has kindly left us a review on iTunes. And Sanch has said, awesome twosome. Oh, I like that. Do you like that, Al? Oh, awesome twosome. Awesome twosome. That's, that's us. And Sanch says, if you want to be a writer, here's the thing for you. Val and Al's weekly podcast will tell you what to do. They'll update you on writing goss, teach you all tips and tricks. They'll chat to inspiring writing folk, which gives your bum a deserved kick. You'll come away full of ideas for freelance and creative work. You'll want to write straight away and regular duties you'll surely shirk. There's other little tidbits you'll hear of Bonoffy Pie and Procrasty Pup, with Al and Val in your life, it's like having friends who prop you up. Yeah! Oh, Sanch, I see what you did there. <laughs> the Dr. Seuss of the review world. <laughs> yes, that's like my favourite review so far. That I love fantastic. it. fantastic. Thank you so much and thank you so much for taking the time to actually write the Dr. Seuss uh, version of an iTunes review. I think it's probably one of the most unique reviews out there. Um, and if anyone else would like to have a go at writing a poem for a review or <laughs> Or not, that's okay. You can just write a regular review. Um, if you would like to take 30 seconds to do that, we'd really appreciate it because it certainly helps us in the rankings on iTunes. Sure it does. So let's plunge straight into the world of writing and uh, publishing this week, shall we? Let's, Val. Now, uh, interesting development in the world of um, custom publishing, and that is that the now, this came up as a headline uh, on Mumbrella because the Tangelo Group has announced they're going to publish Diabetes Australia magazine. Now, I know that's not the most exciting announcement in the world. That's really that's not the point. Mm -hmm. The point is that they've taken on this uh, custom publishing job for Diabetes Australia magazine hot on the heels after they have been appointed to publish uh, the member magazine for F45, as in F45, you know, gyms. Now, wow. I don't know if you've noticed, but they have propped up, cropped up all over the country like 
as if they're growing weeds. Right. <laughs> it's they're literally everywhere. And obviously F45 training, which is like the next, you know, fitness first kind of thing, uh, have realised the value of content marketing and they're producing their own, their own magazine. And what we're seeing here, and I'm just seeing more and more of, is the number of companies who realise now that they are or that they have a great avenue in terms of their audience, their membership or whatever, um, and, and they are taking on the role of publisher. And that's obviously what F45 has done because they've realised that they've got a captive audience. They don't have to rely on going to the newsagent being their magazine being in the newsagent and hopefully attracting the eye of you know a consumer and hopefully their cover lines is go, are going to get a consumer to buy the um, publication they don't need to compete with all of the other publications at the newsagent they've got a captive audience they can literally mm. just send their members and they can guarantee advertisers that they are going to reach all their however many thousands of members because mm. they can literally just deliver it straight into their um, their members' hands. So we're just seeing more and more of this, which is a wonderful thing for freelance writers because even though some magazines have closed, like, you know, sadly, Clio, um, and we say sadly because we both used to work there once. Before. That's right. Uh, and some some print magazines have closed, but also some print magazines have launched as well. Uh, and people say, oh, print is dying, print is dying. Well, print may certainly be, you know, evolving, but there are so many other opportunities in terms of custom publishing and content writing that we're seeing come up because in the past companies didn't, weren't publishers. They didn't feel the need to do this, but now they have the uh, option to do this. They have the resources and funds to do that. They're, they're appointing publishers even to to take over that role. And um, I just think it's an interesting trend to observe because I'm just seeing more and more people uh, find opportunities in this kind of custom or content writing. So just, uh, yeah. Uh, and it's, another- worth, it's worth noting as well that Although the publication may be branded, a lot of the sto- the articles, the content within it is not. So mm. you're not necessarily just writing articles about F45. Um, oh, yeah. It's sort of like it's a whole lot of health and fitness and training content, all of which is written as per a normal feature. You would use, you know, experts. You would get, you know, all of the things that you would normally do writing a feature article, but it's within a branded publication. And I think that that's worth noting as well because I think people oh, yes. sometimes think, oh, I don't want to write sponsored content. Well, it's not necessarily that. I think it's worth reading the fine print to see what it is that you're writing and you can make yes. a decision about what custom publications you may wish to work for or not. But um, I think that it's definitely worth worth noting that you approach writing for these publications in the same way as you would for any publication. Absolutely. For example, I wrote an article for the HCF magazine and it wasn't about HCF at all. I interviewed a breast cancer survivor Mm. and, uh, you know, talked about her journey through breast cancer and her recovery, you know, her diagnosis, her recovery, how her family coped with it. Didn't mention HCF once. Mm. Uh, I don't even know whether she was an HCF customer. That was irrelevant. It was telling Mm. her story. Yeah. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. Good point. So let's move on to something completely different. And this is also um, out of Mumbrella because it's, and I have to mention it because it's like nuts. Mm. Uh, And the post is called When Not to Link Your Brand with Gay Hate Crime. And it's, it's, 
insane because a, a journalist or editor, well, actually it was the US uh, BuzzFeed reporter, Dominic Holden, he received a pitch from a PR person. Now, I've got to say, PR people get a bad rap sometimes and a lot of editors and journalists complain about them. I don't really complain about them because I think that they're being quite helpful and nice most of the time. Sometimes mm. they can be a little bit... Um, you know, uh, they haven't, that sometimes they pitch things that are irrelevant to you, but so what? Just delete. There's no need to get cranky about it. However, this one is not acceptable. And it is a PR person who pitched a story to this reporter and they say, hi, Dominic. It's for a, um, a dating app. And so they say, hi, Dominic. The first crop of Generation Zs, those born after 1996, turned 21 this year and they are changing the rules of dating for everyone. If you're planning a story on the new rules of app dating, the CEO of Jacked, and then in brackets they say, the leading gay dating app for men under 24 that first gained national media attention as the app allegedly used by the Orlando Pulse nightclub shooter Omar Mateen is available oh. for comment. Insane. Okay. Ridiculous. That's just a stupid, stupid thing to do. And whatever PR person did that, you're just beyond dumb. <laughs> Val? Says you are beyond dumb. Okay. And insensitive and stupid. Well, there's not so. much you can say. I mean, there's not even a conversation to have about that. Like oh. why anyone would have signed off on that, why anyone would think that that was a good idea is, oh. you know, from a PR perspective, oh. is just a madness. Yes. And Jack should sack that PR company. Speaking anyway. of that, though, and on a lighter note, I don't yes. know if you've actually been following, <laughs> just to change the, um, just from the perspective of, uh, this is not so much as a from a PR, PR uh, perspective as in, you know, attempting to pitch a story, but this is from a PR perspective of managing a story. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the US over the last week, uh, there was, there's been a, a very funny sort of internet storm uh, because Cracker Barrel, which is a restaurant over there, um, had fired. So, uh, in the Washington Post, this is the opening line: Bradley Reed had one simple question: Why did you fire my wife? Mm. But he decided to ask her employer in an extremely public way on the Cracker Barrel corporate Facebook page. So his wife had, had Brad Brad's wife had been um, had been fired after eleven years for no apparent reason. So he had put this question on their corporate Facebook page. Now, rather than taking that sort of question off the Facebook page and managing that situation. Cracker Barrel didn't respond to it, but the entire internet seems to have jumped on, <laughs> jumped on the, um, on this particular situation and with a whole, like millions of people wanting to know why Brad's wife got <laughs> fired and that, you know, we demand answers, you know, the internet <laughs> demands answers for Brad's wife, justice for Brad's wife. The hashtag was born every time it's mentioned. And every time Cracker Barrel puts something on its Facebook page, the Brad's wife army gets on this page and oh, they haven't actually done anything about it. Oh my God. I don't know who's managing their, I don't know who's actually managing their, their Facebook community or Uh, whatever, but they're not really responding. There's no, they're not even picking up on the general, it's just a fairly 
funny like no there's no aggression behind any of this it's just a fairly funny thing but it runs and runs and runs and runs because they haven't actually responded and I just think it's a um, really interesting method of community management (laughs) yes oh my goodness that's insane so look it up look up justice for Brad's wife and you'll follow the entire story it's quite interesting Oh, yes. How not to manage. All right. Let's move on to a great little infographic, which we will put in the show notes. We'll put the link in the show notes. Uh, And it's a reminder of what makes a real writer, because you and I both come across people who they're writing their novel or they're they're writing whatever, and they just feel that, um, well, it's imposter syndrome, isn't it? They feel that they're not worthy of being called a writer, or maybe they need to be published first in order to be a writer or, you know, they just have that hesitancy in labelling themselves, in calling themselves and admitting in owning that they're a writer. So there's this great flowchart called Are You a Real Writer? So the first question is, do you write? So the answer is yes or no, right? Mm. If the answer is no, I do not write, well, oh, well, not a writer. (laughs) Pretty simple, right? (laughs) But if the answer is yes, congratulations, you're a writer. And then the next question is, do you get paid to write? So the answer is yes or no. And if the answer is yes, then it's congrats, you're a professional writer. If the answer is no, the answer is, uh, so if the answer is no, then it's cool, you're still a writer. It's as simple <laughs> as that. <laughs> Uh, and this, of course, is on the wonderful blog of Chuck Wendig, which is called yes. TerribleMinds.com. And if you haven't discovered Chuck, brace yourself for a language warning. But <laughs> honestly, the man speaks so much sense that it's just – it's really worth swinging past just to have a look. I mean, as he said, you know, there exists no one way to write any one thing. And as long as your writing has a starting point and an ending point, then, you know – whatever shenanigans go on in the middle serve you fine as a process as long as it gets you a finished book, you know, and that's it. Everything else is just picking out drapes. And I love that, you know, I think it's – um. He's he's got such a common sense approach to writing and he has no time for, you know, the serious novelist sitting in a garret with no phone – or, you yeah. know, he's just like, just get on with it. Like at the end of the day, if you are going to call yourself a writer or you want to be a writer, then just get on with it. <laughs> Absolutely. Just get on with it. Chuck right. and I would get on very well, I think. I think so. I think that's mm. why you resonate so, he resonates mm. so well with you. I think so, yeah. Um, all right, so now you have a link for us about rewriting. Is that right? I do, and this was on the blog of Louise Allen, who is an Australian author. She has a novel coming out in September with Alan Unwin called The Sister's Song, and she's written a lovely post, and it's called Writing is Rewriting, which, of course, is something that everyone hears. You know, you see that everywhere. Like there's there's a Ernest Hemingway, Stephen King, somebody. It's a famous quote from somebody. Um, Writing is rewriting. Ernest Hemingway. There you go. Mm. Um, So, uh, and she talks about the fact that this, we all hear this, but you don't actually understand the reality of that until you do it. And I think that that's um, something, again, I think Louise and Chuck would probably get on quite well as well. But Mm. she says, you know, back in 2013, she finished a first draft of The Sister's Song, which had a different name at the time. And she says she had no idea how much editing and rewriting lay ahead. She thought maybe four or five drafts and then it would be ready to start sending out. 
Um, and then she goes on to say, Louise goes on to say, in the four intervening years, um, I've lost count of the number of times I've revised, redrafted and completely rewritten my novel. Mm-hmm. I stopped counting at 20. <gasps> wow. 20. And I'm just mm. like, part of me just like fell over and fainted mm. at that point because I thought, oh. But as she says, it's fair to say that some of that revision could have been avoided if I'd known how to write a novel when I set out. Yeah. However, I suspect that's nearly impossible because the only way to know how to write a novel is to actually write one. And I think mm. she makes a really valid point there. Like I write these days, I probably write – uh, I wrote a first draft and a second draft. I send it to my publisher. Then I do another draft, which is a structural edit. Then it goes to a copy edit. Then it goes to a proofread. Then it goes to print. Okay, so what are we there? Five five drafts? Five yeah. or six drafts. Yeah. Um, but – if I look back at the novels that I that the novels that I started out writing ten years mm. ago, um, mm. some of which I have drafted now, ah, uh, probably ten times, and they're still not right. You know, right. I think that you you get a lot better at this stuff as you go on. You learn, you know, yes. so much just by the doing of things and by the writing of things that yep. you can streamline the processes, but you can never streamline it to the point where you write one draft and send it out. Yeah, so I think that that's really worth noting, um, and I think that you you learn you know where you go every single time you write a novel you learn where you went wrong with the last one, and I think yep. that that's that's um, really worth taking on board. But I think that you know as she said you you do what you have to do until the novel is is ready, and she finishes Louise finishes her her blog post with this line and this is the other thing that you need to learn when you write novels is when to let go of them because Mm. the other problem I think that new writers often have is is they will draft and draft and redraft and redraft and redraft until they have written all the glory out of their book and they have 50,000 drafts because they're so worried it's not perfect. So Louise finishes with this line, my book won't be perfect, no novel is, but it's time to let this story go. I feel I've done it justice and that is enough. And I think that mm. that's something else that you learn as part of the process. It will never be perfect. You will be. I mean, Kate Forsyth, I, I know, talks about books that she wrote 20 years ago and every time she looks at them, she thinks about all the things that she would change if she <laughs> did them again. And because mm. she's now, you know, since then written 10 other novels and learned how to do things differently. Um, mm. So no novel is ever going to be perfect, but you have to just get it to a point where you feel like you've done the very best that you can with the story and then you have to let it go because if you don't let it go, you're not completing that contract. You're not completing the the, the journey of the book, which is that you're allowing it to be read because that's the important thing when you write. You're writing to be read. That is absolutely true. And I think also so many people are afraid to let it go because they're actually afraid about the next step, about Mm -hmm. whether somebody will publish it because while you're still working on it, you're not getting rejected and people are are scared of rejected. Yeah. Um, Yeah, but you need to get it out there because that is the whole point of writing a novel, right? So, yeah, Yeah. good good, um, post. And we'll put the link in the show notes, of course, which you can find at soyouwanttobeawriter.com.au. Now, let's move on to this week's giveaway, which I'm so excited about. (laughs) What are we having, Val? The it's awesome because this week's giveaway we have three books to give away is none other than your book. Oh, 
That's exciting. Yes. None other than The Mapmaker Chronicles Beyond the Edge of the Map, which is book four in the Mapmaker Chronicles series by A.L. Tate. And since we are here with A.L. Tate, why don't you give us a short description of what the book is about first? Ah, so the book... Um Uh, Beyond the Edge of the Map takes place six months after Quinn has returned from the great race to map the world. And he ends up, because he is kidnapped or almost kidnapped, he ends up back on a ship um, determined to find out if there is actually more to the world that than he might have imagined. Um, and people can expect to find some familiar faces, some unfamiliar faces and some probably very unexpected faces on this particular journey. So um, it's, it's another great leg in the journey of Quinn's adventures. So make sure you enter this competition. All you need to go, do is go to writerscentre.com.au slash win in order to enter. Now entries close on the 10th of April. And remember, we have three of these awesome books to give away. And uh, if you are listening to this podcast in the future, don't worry, we will have another giveaway, but we suggest that you get in quick to make sure you can win a copy of Alison's book, Beyond the Edge of the Map. So that's writerscentre.com.au slash win. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. If you'd like to write fiction for kids and teens, our five-week online course in writing books for children and young adults will help you get there faster. Find your voice, create characters, dialogue and plots to fit your age group and write compelling stories that young readers will love, all in a couple of hours a week. You'll also enjoy the convenience of learning from anywhere and get your very own tutor providing personal feedback on your writing. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash WBC. Are we ready for the word of the week, Al? So ready. So ready. So ready. <laughs> okay. Have you, have you ever heard of this? Gongoozler. That's G-O-N-G-O-O-Z-L-E-R. Gongoozler. No. I never have heard of a gongoozler. <laughs> it sounds like a Muppet. <laughs> uh, it does a bit, doesn't it? Yes. Oh. But it is not a Muppet. It's very specific, actually. A gongoozler is someone who is an idle spectator. Specifically, oh. it used to refer to someone who enjoyed watching the boats go by on canals, but now has a more generic meaning. Mm. Bizarre, right? But it's, yeah, it's a word. So gongoozler. So try using gongoozler in uh, one of your blog posts this week, listeners. And if you really? do, make sure. <laughs> I don't know if you can, but. <laughs> Good luck make with sure. that. Yeah, well, you know, sometimes I'm a gongoozler. Are you? Yeah, because I sit on my front deck and have a little glass of wine with my Rexy and my cat Rexy and we watch the boats go by. So sometimes me and Rexy are gongooslers. Then, and yeah, <laughs> I didn't know I was until I learnt this word. So this is a new word to me too. But I have expanded my vocabulary now, and I Excellent. hope everyone else has as well. Gongoozler. I'm sure they have. <laughs> Let's move on to our writer in residence this week, shall we? Let's. 
Our writer in residence is Simone Boss, and Simone has written the book Momo Freaks Out. She's actually a children's book editor and has worked for quite a number of different publishing companies, but at some point she decided to enter the world of blogging. And um, it's just one of those sort of fairy tale situations where a publisher read her blog and decided this would make an awesome book. And so it's published by Echo Publishing and um, we can listen to how this all came about by this chat with Simone. Thanks for joining us today, Simone. Hey, no worries. Thanks for having me along, Valerie. All right. Now, your book, Momo Freaks Out, just for the listeners who haven't read the book yet, can you tell us what it's about? Okay. Um, well, basically, it's based on a blog that I had. Um, I was a, an early blogger from 2002 through to 2008, uh, and it basically covered my life living in Melbourne as a young book editor. I do work in publishing and having a, oh, a whole lot of changes of um moving overseas, living in Tokyo, then London and Singapore. And a lot of, at the heart of it is really a love story between myself and my partner, Tim, whose name was uh, T-Bone in Momo Freaks Out because we were, went with aliases like everyone did back in the old blogging days. Mm. Now, so when you started this blog, why did you start it? Like, did you anticipate it was going to be a book one day? <laughs> no, not at all. Um, I started it mostly because I'd found out about blogging. I'd stumbled across it one day, um, just while bored at work, actually. <laughs> it was through a business card and I went down quite a wormhole and found blogs because back in those days, in it was actually, I think it was about the end of 2001, blogs weren't really the common thing that they are now. Not at all, actually. I don't think that um, anyone really knew what you know, what they were, you sort of were in, 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 in on it or, or you weren't. Um, but I certainly didn't anticipate it becoming a book, although I did want to write a novel. I, I saw it as um, an opportunity to have a daily writing practice. So, um, yeah, that's that's really what it helped was, was practising to write the novel I hoped to write someday. And it became right. it. <laughs> yeah, and it became the novel. So um, uh, you are, you do work in the publishing industry. What do you do? That's right. Yep. Um, I work in children's publishing, though, not adults publishing. So, yeah, I've been working in kids publishing since uh, 1999. Um, I started off as a production assistant. I didn't even know what that was, but that got me my foot in the door. So, yeah. And so what do you enjoy about working in the children's publishing industry? Um, I just love kids' books. To be honest, I like kids' books a lot more than adults' books. <laughs> but um, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I think if you are going to work in children's publishing, that's how it should be. But, um, oh, I don't know. I think I'm young at heart. I'm not that old. Pretty old. <laughs> I turned 40 last year. But, um, and it sort of stopped at that. I was like, oh, yeah, I turned 40 a while ago. But, um, yeah, I've got kids. I've got eight, eight-year-old twins. And um, even before I had them, I, I don't know. I just love kids' books. And, and, mm. and enjoy make, making them, yeah. So this book, though, is not a kid's book. It's an adult not at all. book. <laughs> and <Yes. laughs> um, and uh, there's a few adult themes in there as well. Uh, and at what point, though, in your blogging journey did you start thinking to yourself, you know what, this could be a book one day? Was it quite early? Was it only recently? Yeah. 
I didn't really – well, the way it came about was I, I never submitted it. I didn't submit it to anyone for for publication. Um, Julia Taylor, who was the senior commissioning editor on the Echo list, um, she sort of found me through Facebook. We did know each other vaguely through sort of the publishing world. But um, I was writing one day – this is like actually April – this last year, um, in 2016, I was writing about um, in- internet trolls on my Facebook and how I'd dealt with my own. And she was just interested to know, oh, you had a blog, did you? And she wanted to know if um, if that was something she might be interested in, in looking at. And I thought, nah. But then, yeah, pretty quickly I zoomed out on the freeway and handed her a full printout of my blog. <laughs> so I did grab, I grabbed the opportunity, yeah, once given to me, but I didn't seek out a publishing deal at all. With, so um, tell Momo. me about the process of that. Did you literally print out your blog in full and is your book literally those posts or all of those posts or did you curate them or did you add bits in between? Yeah, tell us about that process. It's a heavily edited version of my blog. That blog was 200,000 words, you know, it spanned um, six and a half years. Um, and a lot of it was like all weird scrapbooky stuff of just photos of things I liked, you know, things I wanted to buy, bands I like, whatever. Um, so when dealing with it, it, about actually six years ago, I spoke at the Emerging Writers Festival. I, I was on a panel called um, Mining the Personal with some other people. Um, and so at that time, I'd printed out the blog. So I sort of, um, yeah, I had it at handy. <laughs> and we didn't have any hard copies of the blog either. We had to go buy that printout. Um, so initially, I just I just went through and read it, cringed a lot because it's really embarrassing reading <laughs> reading your own diary. You know, I'd forgotten. Yeah. I thought, thought and done a lot of these things. But, um, yeah, I just went through and, and manually did my big um, edit of crossing things out Um and whittling it down that way. But really, I went through it about five times solidly. Um, of course, I had a copy editor, um, you know, and a, and a structural editor, but I still, you know, I had to edit my own material. Otherwise, it is diary entries. Um, and some things, I didn't rewrite anything. I mean, I wanted to, that's for sure. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, maybe save for editing out, editing out a few bits and pieces um, in, a, in an entry that mm. didn't quite gel. It's, it's Yeah, it's kind of the real deal. But it can't be found online because I scuttled it in 2008. It was all taken down. So, yeah. And why did you take it? Very much is a book. Because of the book? No, not at all. I, I, I took it down in 2008 or maybe 2009. Um, I've got twins. They're, um, well, they're eight years old now. And when they were three months old, I don't know, I sort of took a long, hard look at myself and thought, do I really want to be blogging their lives? Um, I feel pretty strongly, you know, each to their own. But my personal stance is that kids' lives are their own to live and um, not really to be curated as part of their parents' lives. Like, I, I don't know, the funny stories I really wanted to keep, you know, for them, for themselves and not necessarily as entertain, entertainment for others. Um, everyone in, in Momo, you know, the book, and the blog was, you know, an adult. Didn't necessarily ask them all if they wanted their stories, but I'm kind of the um, the butt of all jokes, really. <laughs> so, yes. But yeah, just, I, I, I really, I think, I think that's it. And, and at that time, 2008, to me, blogging was kind of over. But I know a lot of other people seem to think that was when it started. But that's when sponsorship deals started, and um, yeah. you know, 
media influencers, all these weird things that I know nothing about because I'm not really a, a social media person. <laughs> I'm an anti-social media. So yeah. you say <laughs> that when you read through it, you know, you were cringing in some parts and kind of did I really do that and that sort of thing because I think that when you are blogging in a sense, especially when you're blogging um, and, you know, and everyone's kind of got a code name, yeah. You can. You're almost um, more confessional than if you're out there as you, in a sense. So when you did go through it, um, were you tempted to chuck bits out, or how did you feel about putting it all out there as you in a book? You know what I mean. Um, I felt very confronted, <laughs> I will say that, and especially the more and more I dug through it, and I had conversations with my editor about this, of, you know, there were a few melties where I was like, <laughs> I look like a creep, but, you know, I think... Um, like the hydroponic tomatoes. <laughs> yeah, I'm a thief. But, um, yeah, I think a lot of, a lot of it is kind of this... Uh, I don't think I ever had a charmed existence, but it kind of would come across like that if I didn't sort of, you know, show yeah. the warts and all version of me cracking it frequently um, yeah. and just doing things that, you know, I, I think if you're going to put something out there, you've got to show you, show you all the shades really, you know. Sure. And I, I like to. Yeah, no, please go on. Oh, no, that's it. I've finished. Go on. Okay. <laughs> Are you tempted to write another blog or potentially uh, another memoir or other longer piece of work at all? Yeah. Um, I'm actually in the process of writing a novel, which will be my first novel, which has been commissioned, um, and that's called 40 Teen, and it's a, the subtitle is A Coming of Age Story, um, and that's com completely novelised um, and fictitious, although... I don't know. I did turn 42 years ago, so <laughs> I can't move that far away from the, um, the memoir stuff. So, yeah, I'm writing that at the moment. But um, I was tempted to start blogging again, but um, I've got an Instagram account with, like, you know, not that many followers, but my personal Instagram, I've got a MoMA one, but I also have a, a personal one which um, I think is like a little mini blog to me. So, yeah, but not a blog blog. And let's just go to your work in children's publishing for a bit because I know people will be interested. As a commissioning editor, what mm. are you looking for in a children's book and what are some of the biggest mistakes you see children's writers make? Um, okay, I think the biggest mistake is to be too worthy and boring. <laughs> I think okay. that... We, we, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with uh, earnestness, but I'm not sure that children's publishing is really the place for it. I think if we're going to get life lessons into kids, including eat, eat your veggies, um, <laughs> they need to be sort of woven in in other ways and uh, and maybe just be true to childhood. Like, I don't know. I think I get a lot of, we do get a lot of books where I'm like, ah. Oh, I think that's boring, How you know, why would a kid like it? But, um, I mean, we get lots of wonderful submissions as well. Uh, oh, I don't know how to answer that without sounding too mean because I, I like to be really encouraging of people. But, you know, I think, uh, I mean, you know, I he, Andy Griffiths did give me a quote for my book, so I'm going to sing his praises, but I, I've always loved <laughs> his work because I think that Andy 
especially, I mean, you know, like he's one of our, he's our best sort of writer in Australia, yeah. in my mind, um, and a lot of people's. Um, yeah, he's really true to childhood. I, I don't think he ever, well, he's obviously a functional man, but I think <laughs> he's a father and a husband and all the rest of it. But, um, you know, I don't think he ever left his childhood behind, and that's really um evident in his writing. You've got to love kids' books. I don't think you've got to set out. And I mean, plenty of people seem to uh, come up with the, the notion of, I'm going to write a kid's book, you know, because I've got children and I tell them a bedtime story. I mean, that can be, that's gorgeous and great. And I think that's how Winnie the Pooh got off the ground. I can't, I'm not exactly sure. I'm probably confusing my stories. But uh, yeah, I think you've got to really have a passion for writing kids' books. Otherwise, don't bother. Just because they're short doesn't mean they're easy by, yeah. by a long shot. Yeah. And yeah. so can, can you identify any trends that are um, hot right now in the children's publishing world and which trends are over? <laughs> oh, I don't know. That's something we struggle with all the time in, in at my work. Um, I work for Five Mile. Um, I think we're very much um, – our company sort of um, – Sort of, oh, sorry, I'm losing my words. What are we saying? Our, uh, our position in the market is really trying to be quite trend-led, so I should know what those trends are. Um, <laughs> I, th- I think that publishing, children's publishing, children are not separate to the rest of the world. You know, like I think whatever trends are happening everywhere else are happening in children's publishing, and there are a lot of issues, you know, kids – my kids certainly don't watch the news. I make them put their hands over the ears and start singing and yelling <laughs> if a news break comes on TV. <laughs> but, but I think <laughs> they're eight. I want to keep them away from that stuff as long as possible because I didn't. If, if the tally was off when I was growing up, it was because there was a blackout. But, um, <laughs> you know, I just think that we need to <laughs> put that filter on for children. But but even so, they do absorb the world and, um, yeah, books need to reflect the modern world. I think there's lots of sort of... Yeah, grandma books that get sold still, like, you know, that, that older people might like that aren't necessarily – that have a different notions of, notion of the role of a child's children's book. But um, So when you sorry, mean grandma books, grandma, do you mean yeah. – what do you mean by grandma books? Do you mean books written by older people for children who – that oh, are a bit outdated? No, no not written not, – not meaning – oh, that's such a bad way of saying it. I sort of more mean, like, there's a lot of books out there. I love grandmas. I can't wait to be one myself. <laughs> I more mean that there's a lot of books out there where there's a certain nostalgia to them, um, right. just in their illustrative style or that sentiment. I know my mum, whenever she sends a book to my kids, it's called I Love You, Grandma, or Kisses <laughs> for Grandma, or Grandma's the Best. There's that kind of like the to- grandmother topic or even just that sort of very sweet uh, I don't know. Kids' books like what I had in the in the early '80s, which were a bit sentimental and nostalgic. Yeah. That's what I mean by grandma books. Sure. And sometimes we daggy illustrations. But don't come and get me, grandmas. I think you're all awesome. So, <laughs> so yeah. when one writes a memoir, so back onto the memoir. When when one writes a memoir, there's usually, um, you know, it follows kind of like a particular narrative arc. It follows a particular journey. Um, did yeah. you feel that your blog, in the period in which it was covered, in the period that you covered, um, uh, naturally fell into? A narrative, a narrative arc that would work for a book, and or did you have to chop it at a certain point um, in order for it to, you know, not have an anticlimax or anything, or something like that? 
No, it was, it was all pretty much in real time of what I blogged. I, st- I didn't want to start with my first ever blog entry because I um, didn't particularly like it. <laughs> but um, it started with the first blog entry and it ended with the last blog entry. And to be honest, that was something I spoke about with my um, editors, um, like, is this really a story? And, <laughs> um, yeah, I think for Julia um, particularly, who commissioned it, did say that there was a beginning, a middle and an end, and it, it is split up into three parts. Um, and, yeah, I think there is that arc of us sort of, me and Tim and T-Bone, Momo and T-Bone, the two main characters, me and Tim, yeah. like, former husband, we're not married anymore. So that's, that's another story. But, um, yeah, us just sort of at a loose end, just ha- hanging out, being kid in for ye- for a long time. Then we sort of had the big big blow-up where we decided to move overseas. That's a middle middling period. Yep. And then uh, still not quite sure what we were doing. We came home and had babies and, I don't know, there were more realisations to be had there. So, yeah. Wonderful. Well, it certainly um, is gives inspiration to so many bloggers out there who are hoping that their blog is, is going to turn into a book one day. Um, so, yeah, thank you very much for sharing your journey with us. And, of course, if people want to follow kind of like the new version of your blog, your Instagram account, where do they follow you? Yeah, it's just um, all it is is at Momo Freaks Out on Insta. It's a public account, so you can come and like me there if you feel like it. <laughs> There's all sorts of random things. Sometimes I get confused between that and my personal account, so you never know what's going to show up, but um, <laughs> it's a lot of fun. <laughs> I'm a big fan of Instagram. I do love Instagram. I don't Twitter, but um, don't definitely don't Facebook anymore, but yeah, Insta's where it's at for me. <laughs> Wonderful. Okay, so it's at Momo Freaks Out, which is the name of the book, and thank you so much for talking to us today, Simone. Yeah, thanks heaps, Valerie. It was awesome. Okay, there you go, Simone Boss. Well, I just find that really interesting. And, of course, she joins a, a, a sort of a, a veritable raft of other bloggers who've managed to yeah. do the whole mm-hmm. blog-to-book journey. Of course, our very good friend, Kerry Sackville, was um, yes. was probably one of the first in Australia, I would say, yes. um, and very, very funny. And she, of course, now writes a whole range of, like, a whole range of different things for um, lots of different uh, b- publications and stuff, lots of opinion stuff. She's she's very opinionated, our Kerry. Yes. We love her for that. <laughs> yes. She's fa- and funny, very funny funny as Very well funny. um and of course mrs woog from yes. woog's world has her her book primary school confidential which i think came out last year and which right. um has been by all accounts very very successful um the lovely pip lincoln who we have interviewed yes. in the past from meet me at mike's you know uh, i think one of the, her i can't exactly remember because our interview was a long time ago but mm-hmm. i think one of her first books came out you know because she had that fantastic blog she had used the blog as a platform building um activity which was yep. it was actually related to a sh- to the shop that she had at the time called Meet yes. Me at Mike's. Um, and, of course, many, many uh, cookbooks as well have come from yeah. – have come out of uh, – from blogs, like Local is Lovely. I know that her cookbook was all based on, on her blog and was – she was spotted because of her blog. So I think, um, you know, it's 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 definitely one way of putting yourself out there and building a profile is to sure. eat a blog about something that you love. Blogging about Parkinson. what you're passionate about. Nikki Parkinson, Parkinson of course, styling, styling you. you. Who, yep, um, absolutely. Wrote the book Unlock Your Style. Yeah, so That's right. definitely. Yeah. All right, well, let's move on to um, Instagram. Hey, Al, you wrote a post this week. 
I did write a post this week because, of course, we've talked about my newfound passion, my rekindled passion for Instagram. Because, of but course, I when had I been s- telling you for months, for ages before that, that you'd you like had Instagram, didn't I? You had, mm-hmm. you had, because, um, you know, anyone who follows this podcast with any regularity will know that I was a late adopter of Instagram. I did yeah. try it a few years ago and immediately just went, "This is ridiculous. I'm a words person. I don't mm-hmm. do this." Um, <laughs> But I picked it up again because Valerie kept telling me how awesome it was and it was the only way I could look at regular pictures of her cats, of course. <laughs> of course, that's why. So, exactly. So I went back to Instagram and um, – but this time I had Procrastipop in tow yes. and I found it all a lot more interesting when I had fluffy ears to photograph. So that was, yes. you know, I don't – and by the way, it's not all Procrastipop all the time. Um, so come and say hi to me on Instagram. But and I, where I, will we find you on Instagram, Al? Uh, you find me at Alison Tate Writer. But while I'm mostly posting pics of my dog and my garden and my books and my area and all the other things that make up yes. my life, I love scrolling through the feeds of other authors as well. And so I wrote a post this week where I shared five Australian author Instagram accounts that I love. Now, mm. I could have actually written one where I shared 25 Australian author Instagram accounts I love, but I thought I'd just do five to start with. Mm-hmm. And I thought I would just share a couple of those with you and just talk about why I like them so much because I think that people – um, get an idea about what they have to share on Instagram and what they do, what they shouldn't, and all of those sorts of things. And the five accounts that I'm talking about here today um, are all quite different. And I think okay. it's worth looking at lots of different author accounts and working out whether or not your style might suit one of those or not, or whether you could be inspired by what someone else is doing. And this, of course, is the key to building your own platform on a platform is to kind of have a look at what other people do and decide which bits of it might work for you and which don't. Um, so the first person that, and one of the first people I followed was, is Tristan Banks, who oh, is yes. an Australian children's author. Now, Tristan, who is also a former actor, is not shy in front of a camera on any mm-hmm. level and yeah. puts up a whole bunch of zany kind of fun, you know, images of him doing all his various Tristan things. Yes. But he also shares, you know, images of, of uh, he lives sort of up on the north coast of New South Wales somewhere he shares beautiful photos of beaches and but there's cartoons and there's videos and there's a a very clear visual message about you know that goes through Tristan's feed and I think he has as many kids follow him as he does adults he has a quite a large contingency of of you know younger followers who clearly just love that zany sense of fun that goes all the way through his his feed which I think is great um someone else who does that very well which a very, very consistent style is an author called Mick Elliott. And he has written, Mm. again, a zany middle grade series called The Turners. Um, And the third book of that is out uh, very soon. But he has a theme. And if it's really worth his, he posts only about his own book. And that sounds like it would be the most boring thing in the known universe. Mm. But if you have a look at Mick's feed, he, he takes an old photograph of, of a celebrity of some type, Sophia Loren, you know, whoever, Brigitte Bardot, with a book. And then he recreates the photo next to them with his own book. So there will be a photo of this person and then right oh. next to it will be a photo of Mick in exactly the same pose That's with his own book. Great. It's very clever. It's really, really clever. And, you know, if you see that he also works as a producer at Nickelodeon, you will get some sense of, you know, where he's coming from with his um, 
it's really clever. And I think it's definitely worth following him just to see how consistent he is, but how he makes those posts different every single time. Oh my it's, God, that's so funny. I'm looking know, at it now. I know. It's really cool. So he's, he is um, at uh, what's, what mix or is his uh, Instagram handle. Um, and it's definitely worth having a look at that. And then I share um, two authors that I follow uh because their Instagram feeds are so beautiful, is uh, Maggie McKellar, who, of course, writes a memoir, and she lives down in Tasmania on a farm. And if you just want a a breath of fresh air, if you just want to, like, go somewhere else for a minute, Mm -hmm. have a look at Maggie's Instagram feed. It is full of puppies and horses Mm -hmm. and just beautiful Tasmanian scenery, and it is just divine. It is beautiful. And the other person who has a feed like that is Favelle Parrott, who, of course, we have interviewed on the uh, the podcast in the past. Um, She lives down sort of on the sort of uh, on the coast of Victoria and – Oh, it's so – she surfs and there's a lot mm. of beach and it's just divinely beautiful stuff. It's really, really lovely. So, um, yeah, so those are some of the accounts I share. Wendy Orr is the other. Wendy is a mm. – she's relatively new to Instagram, but she is someone who has been a very successful children's author for a long time. She, of course, wrote the classic uh, Australian children's novel, Nim's Island, yep. which has been made. We have interviewed Wendy. Um, and she joined – she joined uh, Instagram, you know, not that long ago. Uh, she, I sort of remember her first couple of posts, but she is a fantastic community member. She's mm. so engaged with the Australian writing community on Instagram and she comments on other people's posts and she posts stuff about her own life and she puts her new books in and she puts her older books in and um, she does a terrific job of just showing that daily life of an author. And given how incredibly established and successful she is, it's wonderful to see her in engaging not only with readers but with other members of the writing community as well. So that's Wendy Orr. And um, we will put the link in the show notes and that will have all their yeah. uh, all of their Instagram handles in it. But um, I'd be really keen to know what Australian authors you love following on Instagram. Like if there's someone that you've yeah. seen that's doing a fantastic job, you know, give them a shout out, let me know because um, I'm always looking for new people uh, to not only follow but new people to talk about. Like I, we, we're very supportive of the Australian writing yes. community and we love to share the love. So if yes. you've seen someone that you think is doing a brilliant job, let us know so we can, you know, go see them being brilliant as well. Yep. Ping us. We would love to know. Hmm. And of course, that, the, you know, building a profile on Instagram doesn't suit everyone, but it does yeah. suit some people. You've got to actually, you know, work with a platform. If you want to build your own profile as an author, you've got to amplify your message with a platform you're actually going to use. There's mm. no point forcing yourself to do something. But then also don't have a block and think, oh, no, Instagram won't work for me or whatever, Twitter won't work for me. At least try it before you make that decision. Because you just never know what is going to, what you're going to enjoy and what you're going to find fun and what you're going to, uh, what is going to resonate with your community and your readers. And of course, this and other fantastic platform building tips are in Alison's course, How to Build Your Author Platform, which is just a great blueprint on exactly how to do that. I mean, how would you describe the course, Al? 
Uh, look, it's, I would see it as a step-by-step guide to, you know, I think it answers some of the biggest questions that people have about building a platform. Why do I need to do it? How do I go about it? Do I need to blog? Do I need to tweet? Do I need to Facebook? What do I need to do? And also, we, we also look at, though, at taking your platform offline as well and looking yeah. at some of the things that you can do to help amplify that. Again, it's all about amplifying that word of mouth message and getting your name and your books out in front of people in a non people kind of freak out. They're like, oh, it's all so salesy and self-promotion, but it's not. It's about building a community of interested people. Um, and we, we talk you through how to do that. And I think that that's what the fact, the feedback I'm getting from people that are doing the course is that they are finding that so valuable, just that, you know, that resonation of what do I need to do? How do I go about it? Um, is incredibly helpful when you're sitting there thinking, I just don't even know where to start. Yeah, and if you want to find out more, then just go to writercenter.com.au slash platform. That's writercenter.com.au slash platform. All right, well, this brings us almost to the end of this week's episode. Al, what have you got happening in the coming week? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Well, to be perfectly honest with you, Valerie, I am – we're revving up for school holidays again, oh, everyone. Yes. Brace yourselves. Um, so I've got about, I don't know, five days to get my life in order before the boys are back, you know. Yeah, right. The boys are back in town. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm just, you know, I, I've got my head down and I'm just trying to get things done, really. Yeah, fair enough. Which is not exciting, but it's that's just the way of it, isn't it? That's how it works. But, yeah, what about you? Oh, I've got quite a bunch of things on. I am running um, a corporate workshop this coming week uh, for to help people um, build their profile online uh, and also to write better, of course. Um, we've got a, a monthly Ask Me Anything for our Freelance Writing Masterclass program. So the Freelance Writing Masterclass program is a year-long program where people um, – it's only available to people who've done one of our stage one courses in freelance writing so that could be travel writing or food writing or magazine writing and it's for people who want to go to the next level so they become members of the program and there's weekly tutorials among many other things there's a pitch doctor where they can send their um, uh, pitches in to be assessed and to get feedback on their pitches to editors before they actually send it to an editor so they can maximize their chance of success but also they have a monthly ask me anything where they can literally ask me anything and that's on this week as well um so that should be fun yeah lots of fantastic questions all of the time but um it's time for us to wrap up al yes i just don't know i don't know how this happens every week we run out of time where do we find you online al You'll find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You'll find me on Twitter at at Al Tait, A-L-T-A-I-T. And you will find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. And you'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram. And, of course, feel free to connect with me on Facebook. And if you want the show notes to anything uh, and and where you'll find any links that we discussed today, you'll find that at soyouwanttobeawriter.com.au. Thanks so much for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. 
Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writerscentercomau slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentercomau slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more. 